However, in order to fully appreciate the hymn in all its two stanzas, <laughs> I think we should take a look at the author first. Um, yeah, his testimony brings so much glory to God that maybe next time you sing one of his hymns, maybe this hymn, you'll be very blessed by the man who penned it. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Hymn Partial, the podcast where we talk all things church music. I'm Cara Peregrino. And I'm Monet Funka, and today we are talking about pastor and hymn writer Joseph Hart and the good God that we adore. Get ready to be a little scandalized and a lot encouraged and ready to add this song to your worship playlist this week. But first, stop whatever you're doing. <laughs> you know, seriously, stop whatever you're doing. Help us stay in contact with you. We don't like relying on algorithms. You wouldn't know if the algorithms were lying to you. So best way to keep in touch is by just being direct contact with us. So if you're on YouTube, subscribe to our channel, like and share this episode and just do it. Just do it. Like, what's your problem? Just do it. Alternatively, if you're listening to us on audio only, go on over to impartial.com. In fact, whether you're like listening to us on audio or whether you're on YouTube, go on over to himpartial.com and support us. You can do that financially at ko-fi.com forward slash himpartial. You can sign up for our free weekly newsletter at himpartial.com. Newsletter subscribers get first access to our bonus content. And this week, we are looking at taking a grave look at Bunhill Field, the resting place of many non-conformist preachers, including today's hymn writer. And it's kind of cool not to toot my own horn, but you definitely don't want to miss that bonus episode. But oh no, if you haven't signed up to our mail list, you, you already have. You, you already have missed it. And who knows when it'll be available. It might be months, years, maybe never. Could be days, to be honest. <laughs> but the point is, it's unpredictable. If you like yes. the stability and predictability yes. in your life, you need yes. to sign up for the newsletter. Most definitely. Most definitely. So, this is, as a good friend once described it, a good Baptist hymn. <laughs> uh, in fact, the first time I ever heard this hymn, which is, How Good is the God We Adore, if you missed it, it was out of his mouth, this friend's mouth. We sat in our living room the day we met him. Um, and yeah, it's just a love of him. And every time I hear it now, I think of this dear brother, Wally, down in Walthamstow. Shout out to you. Um, and so I always think about him and the joy he had singing it to us, which was the first time I heard it mm -hmm. was out of his mouth. Have you ever have you ever sung this hymn, Cara? Yeah. Yeah, I have. Um, I don't know if the first time I heard it was from Wally, mm -hmm. but he definitely reminded me how good it was when mm -hmm. he started singing it in a sermon. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I love that song. I forgot about it. He did sing it in a sermon, huh? Wow. It was at a conference we were both at. Yes, He sang a few right. things. I really loved that. I loved that he started singing in a sermon. I was like, I more people too. should do that. I do too. He's a good preacher and a dear brother. Yes. Um, so the hymn that we're going to look at today is very brief. It's very short. Um, and it's really lovely. However, in order to fully appreciate the hymn in all its two stanzas, <laughs> I think we should take a look at the author first. Um, yeah, his testimony brings so much glory to God that maybe next time you sing one of his hymns, maybe this hymn, you'll be very blessed by the man who penned it. This hymn was written by Joseph Hart. 
Joseph was born in the early 18th century in London. His parents were pious and claimed that Joseph had absorbed the core doctrines of the faith from a very young age. Hmm. Um, yeah, Joseph was well-educated and became a teacher of the classics. Hmm. He was a smarty pants. He was. Around age 21, he began his real struggle with the Lord, which would go on for a few decades. Wow. He became deeply concerned about his salvation and set forth to live a very pious lifestyle comprised of prayer, fasting, and tears. However, um, he fell prey to many lusts, and this struggle continued until he was in his late 20s. At this point in his late 20s, he adopted an extreme antinomian position. Now, for those of us in the cheap seats who mm -hmm. didn't go to seminary, this phrase gets thrown about quite, a, quite liberally. But here what I mean is that he adopted the view that due to God's divine grace, which secures our salvation, we are not bound by God's moral law because we're already saved by grace. Um, it's the exact argument that Paul, the apostle, argues against in Romans 6. Cara, do you mind reading this for us? What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Yeah. So for Joseph, his answer was yes. Let's go ahead. And <laughs> I, I have honestly, I've heard people argue that. Yes. They're like, well, if I'm forgiven, I can do what I like because yep. I'm forgiven. So yeah. Yeah. yeah, he says, for, he says in his own words, having, as I imagined, obtained by Christ a liberty of sinning, I was resolved to make use of it and thought the more I could sin without remorse, the greater hero I was in the faith. In this abominable state, I continued a loose black backslider, an audacious apostate, a bold-faced rebel for nine or ten years, not only committing acts of lewdness myself, but infecting others with the poison of my delusions. Gosh. I mean, praise God that he came through that, but that's grim. It's really grim. Indeed. Indeed. His convictions, for lack of a better term, were so strong that when he visited his parents' church, where George Whitfield and John Wesley were known to preach, hmm. he actually responded by publishing a pamphlet entitled The Unreasonableness of Religion, Being Remarks and Animadversions on the Reverend John Wesley's Sermon on Roman 8.32. In other words, he published this pamphlet going off on Wesley. So was he the kind of guy who nowadays would have like a blog with three followers <laughs> and he'd hear a sermon and he'd be like, this person is the worst. I would say he would be that type of person who has 3 million followers. Oh, like he was quite influential. Yeah. Okay. And so because he was a learned man, um, this pamphlet caused damage. One of those, I'm a Christian and this person yeah. is wrong. Yeah. And everybody goes, ooh, you're smart and you say you're a Christian. Yes. So we'll listen to you. When in yes. fact, he's like not a good person at that point. No, no. And I think that's what he was referring to. One of the many things he was referring to when he said that he infected others with mm -hmm. his delusions. He wasn't I'm so glad you read that quote. Otherwise I would just be like, please tell me there's redemption in this story. <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know. Should we be singing his hymns considering this? <laughs> we'll talk more <laughs> about this next week as well. Yes. Yes. Well, thankfully, 
thankfully, the Lord was gracious to Joseph. And at mm-hmm. age, at the age of 40, basically a decade into his antinomian ways, he saw the error in his ways and was seemingly repentant. Seemingly? Yeah, things weren't all sunshine and rainbows. He... He believed right doctrine in terms of conduct, right? He wasn't uh, sinning, so grace may abound. Mm-hmm. But he lacked the comfort of knowing that God truly loved him. In other words, he lacked joy in his communion with God. And this went on for quite a few years. But it was during a sermon at the Moravian Chapel in Fetter Lane. On What's those Moravians again? <laughs> yes, on Pentecost Sunday. In 1757, that brought light and grace into his soul and put a happy end to his lifelong perplexities. He now became a thorough convert, a consistent and happy Christian. So do you think he was actually saved at that point? Or do you think he was saved earlier and just struggled? Because, I mean, it would make sense if he'd lived this way where he's like, I can do what I want because you have to forgive me anyway. Then it's kind of understandable that if he then got saved, he would he would feel struggle with like how can God possibly love me Mm -hmm. how can I be assured of my salvation when I've been like that I don't know I mean but according to his own testimony he did struggle after this day in 1757 Mm -hmm. but he always looked back on that day as when he was truly converted yeah I think that's a good point as well that he looked back and he said he still struggled because we don't just immediately get better from all our sin and never struggle with anything again when we're saved. No. But I guess if there was a very, very clear change in him as opposed to these kind of like bumps and Mm -hmm. stages. Yep. Makes sense. Yep. Uh, Just as a side, I think that this is like one of my greatest regrets. I don't really have regrets in life, but one of my greatest regrets in not journaling more regularly Because sometimes when you face doubts, when you face moments of lack of assurance or whatever, it'd be so great to just pull up a journal and be like, wasn't I feeling really sure on like last Mm -hmm. year? And then you could pull up that and then read your own words and hear your own testimony. Mm -hmm. I need to be better at that. But but yeah, as someone who has struggled with assurance a lot in my walk with the Lord, I could totally appreciate like him knowing, like, I don't know what I was doing those first 20 years, but I know on that day in 1757, I was saved. Mm -hmm. So thus begins his life in ministry. Just two years after his conversion, he published a collection of hymns called Hymns, Etc., composed on various subjects with a preface containing a brief account of the author's experience and the great things that God hath done for his soul classically very short title very <laughs> I miss to the point. titles like that i feel like we I should give back it, to it. we don't have called, patience i love it had this huge subtitle but the thing itself is just like oh, hymns etc yeah <laughs> it's like yeah hymns and things whatever you know stuff <laughs> um yeah I, I might look that up see if i can find that online because i'd be yeah. interested just to read even his account of his conversion yeah yeah that'd and be really I, interesting in i mean he was quite a character um A few years after this, he was called to the pastorate at Jewin Street Chapel in London, where he served for eight years until his death. Um, He struggled with poor health for most of his time in ministry. And in 1768, at the age of 56, he died. 
It's a really short time. Like he packed a lot in though. Yeah, like eight, nine years of like what he would consider true conversion and then he died. There's actually a really lovely picture that John Hughes, his brother-in-law, who preached at his funeral, paints of Joseph Hart. He describes him as someone who was clearly suffering greatly, but committed to serving Christ. And I think it would bless you all to hear it. So because I've been talking for way too long, Cara, I will let you read out this little testimony from John Hughes. Okay. He was like the laborious ox that dies with a yoke on his neck. So he did with the yoke of Christ on his neck. Neither would he suffer it to be taken off. For you are witnesses that he preached Christ to you with the arrows of death sticking in him. <laughs> what an image. <laughs> yeah. Like, He's just like, ah. Oh. It's like, yeah, so Romans 8, 28. So it's like, if you can imagine if you've ever seen Lord of the Rings, bit where they like keep shooting Barmir and he yes. keeps fighting. Yes. Just like that. Exactly, exactly. But the, the idea of the laborious ox and like taking on the yoke of Christ and like refusing to have it taken off is a mm -hmm. good image as well. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. It's a beautiful picture. Yeah. I love it. I'm 99% I'm sure John Hughes was a preacher himself obviously if he's taking the funeral well, he was eloquent whatever. yeah very eloquent yeah. really very eloquent so Hart was buried in bunfield fields bunhill fields a word i can't say a phrase i can't say where many nonconformist preachers slash puritans are buried um more on that in the bonus clip it was said that 20,000 people attended his funeral service, which, oh my gosh, this this is a lot of people. Like, that's for, all of for London. Like eight or nine years of conversion. <laughs> Ooh, that's, he must yeah. have had quite a lot of influence. I think it was probably his whole life, just because mm. he obviously had these. I suspect, like, when he actually got saved, he probably lost yeah, a chunk of friends. Probably. Probably. Um, yeah, he was survived by his wife and five or six kids that got conflicting uh, uh, words on that. But yes, he was married with a family. I don't know when that happened in all of his crazy lifestyle. But yep, survived by a wife and five or six kids. And during the service, one of his own hymns was sung, which is so lovely. When I, read, when I was doing research on it, I was like, oh my gosh, I want to talk about this song. But I've decided and I was committed to how good, how good is the God we adore. Um, so the hymn is called Sons of God by Blessed Adoption. Cara, can you read the first verse of that, please? I can indeed. Sons of God by Blessed Adoption, view the dead with steady eyes. What is sown thus in corruption shall in incorruption rise. What is sown in death's dishonor shall revive to glory's light. What is sown in this weak manner shall be raised in matchless might. I've just found my funeral hymn. <laughs> yes. I'm not kidding. No, that is that is definitely on you the list. You can sing this one and Christ my hope in life and death. And nice. you're good. Oh, it's so good. And to think like to have his own words be sung like as praise to the Lord. There's at so his much funeral. beauty in this. Like what's yeah. sown in death's dishonor shall revive in glory's light. Yes. Sown in this weak manner, raised in matchless might. You're just like, oh. And I feel like with his testimony fresh in your mind, like his words just weigh so much heavier. Mm. Like they just, they carry more significance. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I was really blessed by Joseph's testimony. 
the life he led, the struggle he had with God over so many years and the victory of Christ in his life. I mean, it, it, it led him to spend a very short but meaningful time in ministry mm. that is still blessing us today. So, yeah, yeah, I don't think I've ever read any of his other hymns, but now I'm like, hmm, maybe I will read the whole of hymns, etc. <laughs> well, apparently his most famous hymn is Come Ye Sinners poor and wretched or something and needy there's two hymns that start almost the same poor needy or weak and needy yeah they might both be by him but they're the same meter and they Mm -hmm. both start start with come ye sinners um but this is the one i know the most from him um so the hymn of the day Mm -hmm. which i said is very very short (laughs) It's just a song of praise. Um, And now, knowing what you know about Joseph, it really makes you smile. I already liked this hymn a lot. But now, having heard his testimony, I'm kind of like, there's just so much more weight to these words. Mm -hmm. So, Carl, why don't you go ahead and read them for us? I would love to. (laughs) Um, So, the words are, How good is the God we adore, our faithful, unchangeable friend, his love is as great as his power and knows neither measure nor end. For Christ is the first and the last. His spirit will guide us safe home. We'll praise him for all that is past and trust him for all that's to come. Amen. A to the man. That's a really good one. This one's a really good one for memorizing as well. Yes. Because it's short and sweet and packed full of goodness. Yes. Talking about our episode from a few weeks ago, this might be a good hymn to learn as a church and to sing a cappella sometimes because it's only two verses and the melody is very easy. Yeah, it's a nice melody, actually. I like this one. So because this hymn is brief, I'm going to keep it brief. The hymn tune most commonly associated with this is a tune called Celeste, which is a Sunday school tune. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Yeah, it's like Celeste and then like Land... Lancaster or something. I don't know which shire it's from. Some, somewhere in Ingr- England. Sunday school tune. That's what it says, like in parentheses. Um, I don't know why that makes me laugh. It just It's just that jolly of a tune that it kind of like makes sense that it's a yeah. Sunday school tune. You can imagine kids just like yeah. skipping about singing it. Yeah, it's great. Um, yeah, the text is simple and true. It's jam-packed full of goodness for only two verses mm-hmm. um it's hopeful and a joyous hymn it makes me smile tremendously god is good he's our friend he loves us and whereas we change he changes not um and in verse two we are safe in his sovereign hand um so yeah i mean just that's it like I I could say more about it but then I could just also just read the hymn twice so to wrap it up on a better note than my ramblings (laughs) Cara can you read Hebrews 10 19 to 23 yep Hebrews 10 19 to 23 therefore brothers since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Amen. 
men. Amen. Yeah. I absolutely love this hymn. Um, thank you so much for sharing it with us. It was really good. And it was so good to hear about the life of the guy who wrote it as well, because I never knew that. Me neither. Um, but that's why we do this podcast, is so we can find out more about hymns like this, about the people who wrote them. And I don't know about you, but I find like when we find out about the hymn writers, it feels like the hymn is all the better for it. Yeah. So that's really cool. Yeah. A human being wrote this. With real struggles. With real struggles. Yeah. Not like a... like a Some super pious Superman. Yes. I can't think of the words, but you know what I'm trying to say. Just some unattainable fake person. You know, sometimes yeah. you read a hymn and it's so You're eloquent. like one of those marble saints on a pillar somewhere. Yeah, no, and you're just no. like, yeah, it's never going to be me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So thank you so much. That was really good. We encourage you to go sing this hymn, uh, whether you knew already or not. It's worth picking up, mm-hmm. worth adding to your repertoire. Mm-hmm. Great hymn. Thank you so much for sharing. And stay tuned for the bonus. The bonus is if good. If you're a subscriber, if you're not, go and sign up for the newsletter so that you get next week's bonus, which is also pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> I know because I wrote it. Yes. Um, but yeah, head on over to impartial.com and sign up for our weekly newsletter so that you don't miss any of this great stuff. And until next week, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Bye. Bye.